Today on a special episode of CityCast Pittsburgh. A lot of other cities share information when a cop gets in trouble. Cities like Philly, New Orleans, New York, but not Pittsburgh. And some of that comes down to a collective bargaining agreement. And some of it is just a statewide culture of, quote, only sharing what you absolutely have to. But it's safe to say the city could be doing more. That's what Mayor Ganey's promised. So we decided to help him along a little. CityCast Pittsburgh and our nonprofit partner, Public Source, worked together these last few months to crunch through more than 5,600 individual allegations against Pittsburgh police. Our own Megan Harris is here with reporter Rich Lord to explain what they found. It's Tuesday, May 3rd. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. So a little bit of background to start. Right after New Year's, myself and public source reporter Rich Lord started talking about police discipline. Several years ago, he'd filed a right-to-know request about internal police data, how and why some officers are being reprimanded, and what we can find out about that. And he was ready to update those numbers, especially as we were just about to roll into a new mayoral administration under now Mayor Ed Ganey. Those right-to-knows, or RTKs, can sometimes be a good indicator of how a new administration is likely to treat journalists and our requests over the course of their new term. So we got this raw data back about a month later, in early February. There were more than 5,600 allegations altogether. That's just in the last decade. So, Rich, can you talk a little bit about the process of getting a chunk of data back like that and also just making sense of it? Sure, Megan. The city basically gave us a spreadsheet, which is just uh, tens of thousands of facts arranged in rows and columns. Uh, There were dates, there were alleged violations committed by officers. In some cases, we got to see how uh, they came in uh, and whether they were deemed to be credible or not credible. Uh, So after kind of staring at it for a while, sorting it, (laughs) filtering it, you know, I decided the best thing to do was to break it up, first of all, into different types of allegations and then try to figure out what had changed over time. Right. And there are two big chunks of data we want people to be aware of. Um, So OMI complaints, that's through the city's Office of Municipal Investigations, and DAR findings, that's the Bureau's internal disciplinary action reports. OMI allegations sometimes yield a DAR, but not always. Right. Members of the public who have complaints or concerns about police typically take them to OMI, the Office of Municipal Investigations. And that's a civilian-run agency that investigates them and tries to figure out whether or not the officer uh, really did violate a policy or not. Either way, OMI then sends it over to the police bureau, and then the bureau's uh, leadership decides whether to conduct its own disciplinary action. Or sometimes a matter can just start in the police bureau if uh, if the police brass sees that there's a problem and move through that disciplinary process. Right. Lots of different options. Um, so while, you know, from the data side, we can see that DAR was initiated and why, we don't know what, if any, disciplinary actions were actually taken, like what the sentence or punishment, um, to put it more simply, might have been, because the city maintains that that info isn't included under the Right to Know Act. Yeah, we first did this kind of analysis in 2020, and the city has always taken the position that it's not going to tell us exactly what discipline was exacted in in any individual case. 
That's in part because of rules that are laid out in the city's contract with the Fraternal Order of Police, the union, and it's in part due to state law, which uh, restrains the city in terms of releasing police personnel information. And there are a couple other caveats to this. Right. Uh, The state rules make it legally really dicey for the city to give us officer names in connection with any kind of discipline. Uh, So instead of names, we said, okay, city, provide us with a unique number for each officer. That way we can kind of tell if there are officers who drew lots of complaints, though we won't be able to name them. And yes, we did find there were officers who had faced scores of allegations over a decade, though there were many others who just faced one or two. It was very clever of you, Rich. I was very impressed by that. Uh, And last but not least, of course, um, nothing that we've shared online on publicsource.org discloses the exact nature of allegations in any open cases. Um, So those are cases where disciplinary action officially started after the close of the year in 2021, um, which includes the officers and supervisors implicated in the death of Jim Rogers. Um, That's the black man who died in police custody after being repeatedly shocked with a taser. It was in Bloomfield. He'd allegedly stolen a bicycle. Yeah, and that one has really reignited the police accountability debate here in Pittsburgh, not only because he died after uh, potentially committing the incredibly minor uh, infraction of taking a bicycle. Uh, There have been vigils and protests and civil rights lawsuit, uh, and there's an ongoing grand jury investigation. The city has also fired five police officers. So when we get this data, we look for that one, of course, Uh, But, you know, it's not there uh, because that process didn't start during the period we requested. And you know what? Uh, Though there has been discipline and five firings, those firings could still be challenged. Yeah, by the FOP um, and arbitration. Um, Terribly tragic and definitely unfinished. Uh, So we'll get to what we do know um, and what people have to say about it. Yeah, we got those 5,600 allegations, accusations against city police officers in our data. And of those, about three quarters of them came through that civilian process with the Office of Municipal Investigations. And then the other quarter were processed internally in the police bureau through that disciplinary action reporting system. Yeah, DARs, that can include allegations ranging from failure to wear a seatbelt to inappropriate use of force. A really big gamut there. Um, And it's largely up to police leadership to decide when and how an infraction yields any sort of punishment. And punishment is kind of a relative term in this area. (laughs) You're right. Discipline, course correction, retraining. um, Top Brass has a lot of names. Yeah. And the city, as I mentioned before, didn't release specific results of each or any of the given disciplinary actions taken internally in the Bureau But other data that the Bureau uh, releases uh, annually suggests that kind of about half of disciplinary actions result in reprimands, suspensions, or terminations. Uh, The other half bring counseling, retraining, or no action if the police decide the officer didn't do anything wrong. Right. And and just to say it again for clarity, these are all internal hearings, very, very close to the public. Um, Generally, as we understand it, the officer in question, their supervisors or zone commanders, the chief and his deputies, they all get together and hash it out and decide whether the recommended discipline, which could have started weeks or months ago, depending on when the allegation originated, whether those recommendations still make sense. Um, So it could be oral or a written reprimand, a suspension, um, even a firing, whatever, that the the public safety director then has to approve. And we asked the police union president uh, about these reprimands, and uh, the union takes the position that even an oral reprimand is uh, meaningful punishment. 
And that's because uh, when the police bureau decides whether a given officer can, say, get a promotion or go into a special unit like the SWAT unit, they look at these disciplinary actions and even an oral reprimand could conceivably keep you from getting that promotion or special assignment. Uh, Chief of Police Scott Schubert told us that's one of the things the Bureau does in order to kind of contain repeat offenders. But Chief Schubert also acknowledges that that really only goes so far. So say an officer's specific form of discipline comes with a five-year block. In five years, it doesn't matter what they did. If they're still employed, it can't be held against them for future opportunities. So if you're a new officer and you, you know, screw something up early in your tenure, you wait a number of years and then you get a clean slate again. Yeah, and that's really prescient right now. So they've hired a bunch of new officers in the last few years. They're not all 22, but all of them will lack experience until they have more time in the Bureau. Um, So it's really vital that Chief Schubert and other top brass take a holistic approach to redirection. Um, Should probably note here, um, Chief Schubert himself actually joined the Bureau in 1993. Which he mentioned was just before another big hiring wave. Right. Um, He said back then they hired just about 500 officers in a handful of years. So Schubert has this experience, and he took over as chief in 2017. So about half the data that we received that we've been looking at has been under his watch. I mean, we're human, uh, just like everybody else. We make mistakes uh, out in the field, and you may say something that you you shouldn't have said. Um, is that uh, willful misconduct or just misconduct? And looking at that, and how do we change that that behavior so you're back to uh, where where you're at? But I, I think we put a lot of stock in um, just holding people accountable because of you know our positions in in the community for law enforcement, and people expect to see us uh, always be right. Um, and unfortunately, that's never going to happen in a in a perfect world because uh, we are human, um, and maybe that that officer is having a bad day and and we need to redirect that um, so it doesn't happen again. And Chief Schubert noted that uh, given the demographics of the force, we're going to see a lot more retirement in the next few years. And there also hasn't been an academy class in well over a year now. Uh, The chief looked a little misty talking about that. Um, So we're going to keep a pretty, quote, young force over the next few years. Hey, CityCast listeners, newsletter editor Francesca DeBecco here. Do you want to get your message out in the Berg? Advertise with us. CityCast Pittsburgh reaches the locals who care most about what's going on around town. Our listeners and readers are the dedicated residents who live and breathe all things Steel City. They're looking for new restaurants, attending local events, and proud to be politically and socially engaged. Learn more at citycast.fm forward slash advertise or email us at ads at citycast.fm. So we decided to break the data into those two periods, 2012 through 2016 and 2017 through 2021, roughly five versus five. Right in the middle of those two periods, there were some leadership changes at the Bureau. Chief Schubert took over for Cameron McClay, and a bunch of administrative support staff shifted, as they always do when we get a new chief. But one other really big thing happened. Yeah, in 2018, All officers were given and required to use body-worn cameras. Body-worn cameras. (laughs) And in those years after these body-worn cameras were uh, placed on the 
officers, a number of interesting things happened according to the data. While discipline internally for use of force increased, the accusations received by the Office of Municipal Investigations, the outside investigator, uh, decreased in, in regard to use of force. On the other hand, accusations to OMI related to uh, towing, related to bias or discrimination, related to traffic enforcement, all kind of areas in which there's a sensitivity to potential racial profiling uh, increased meaningfully. They doubled. Right. Meanwhile, internal bureau discipline about conduct unbecoming toward the public by officers and, in fact, misconduct toward other bureau personnel increased, as did discipline related to what the bureau calls incompetence. And finally, in the last five years, OMI started sustaining more allegations. That means that the investigators found that an officer did actually violate a policy. You know, still OMI only sustains about 12% of the accusations it receives, but that's up from less than 8% in the prior five years. So that's a meaningful increase in the number of accusations that OMI finds were, were, were accurate and credible. Exactly. Um, and another big thing, too, is we can't forget 2020. The pandemic started, of course, and a now convicted Minneapolis police officer murdered George Floyd that May. Even here, protests and demonstrations were frequent, and it turns out it was also a high watermark for DARs. More than five times as many internal allegations were leveled as compared to the lowest year we studied, which was 2012. Yeah, but does that mean that the Bureau was really more effective at discipline? Brandy Fisher at the Alliance of Police Accountability. <laughs> Good question. Yeah, yeah. She, she doesn't buy it. Uh, she says that vigilance on the part of the Bureau might be one factor, but she sees something else at, at play. 2020 was a horrible year uh, when it comes to policing. I've been doing this work for 12 years. I've been protesting that entire time. Uh, 2020 I've never seen a response from police that way. Um, and so this is why we say that there was a, an emboldenedness with officers. I mean, when you look at Mellon Park, you know, police officers had no reason. They, they all, they, they truly assaulted protesters and the news was there. Mellon Park was in August that year. Um, if you don't remember it, or maybe you're new to the city, we'd had months of protests. I um, mean, thoroughfares were peacefully occupied, and there had been some confrontations, um, including a bike marshal at one protest who was arrested and taken away in an unmarked car, um, which the DA's office later said should never have happened. So protesters were upset. They camped outside then-Mayor Bill Peduto's house, and on the third night, things got a lot uglier. Um, I wasn't there, but there was a confusing dispersal order that pushed everyone back to the park, to Mellon Park. And the videos taken from bystanders, from journalists, they're kind of hard to watch. Um, they're still out there if you want to look for them. And there were allegations of use of force during that period. And in one criminal complaint, police acknowledged using OC spray on the crowd. Yeah, that's definitely part of what uh, Brandy Fisher of the Alliance for Police Accountability is referencing, a what she called an uptick in boldness in the way that police are interacting with people. Uh, which she attributes uh, more than heightened vigilance to the increasing complaints. Yeah. So Officer Robert Swartzwelder, he's the president of the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge. That's the union that represents uniformed personnel up to the rank of lieutenant, so rank and file. He says he's worried that public pressure like that could eventually hurt officer recruitment um, and even retention. On the other hand, if you talk to Jaziri X, who's the founder and CEO of One Hood Media, you'll get a very different take on that public pressure. I think it's a righteous and legitimate pressure, right? This is OMI responding to, we're watching now. Folks is listening now, right? 
you can take your complaint directly to Alliance for Police Accountability. You don't have to go to OMI or even Civilian Police Review Board, right? You have, you know, organizations like Abolitionist Law Center doing court watches, right? So to me, this actually speaks to folks organizing around really watching what is happening. And so I think you have somebody like OMI knows that people are watching, you know, when these um, complaints are filed and if something is going to be done or not, people are actually watching. One Hood, if you're not familiar with it, has been around for a while now. Um, they're really trying to be the vanguard for arts and activism in the city, particularly around questions of social justice. Um, they actually joined Brandy Fisher and the Alliance for Police Accountability in creating a grassroots coalition, um, the Coalition to Reimagine Public Safety, uh, which co-published a report last year sharing their vision for policing in Pittsburgh. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but Jasiri, he points to Roger's death as evidence that more pressure and more change or warranted. So if you create a culture where you can get away, particularly if you do something to a black person, right? You can get away with brutalizing people. You can get away with abusing people and abusing your own authority. If that's the culture, then you're going to come in and that's what you're going to do. So you set the tone when you create that as somebody that runs an organization my organization has to have a particular culture. When somebody new comes in, it's like, okay, this is what we can do. This is what we can't do, right? And until that culture changes, we're not going to see a change. And it's going to be, the only question is who's next? And this is what we've been saying. It's Jim Rogers today. Who is it going to be the next day and the next day and the next day? And I have not seen a willingness from Chief Schubert on down to change the culture of policing. Jasiri and Chief Schubert both seem to agree that video here is the wild card, um, whether it's from old school surveillance cameras, people's cell phones, or body-worn cameras, which should be on most of the time, according to bureau policy. Supervisors are required to review the footage anytime there's a complaint or someone resists arrest. Or even if they don't have something like that, they're supposed to pull what the Bureau calls a sufficient number of random camera <laughs> captured incidents. But they don't tell us how many that is. <laughs> no, no, it's pretty vague in the, in the policy, but they, they're supposed to be enough to ensure that Bureau policies are being followed in general. Uh, and the manager of the Office of Municipal Investigations, Aaron Bruni, uh, says that in addition to these cameras, people just feel a lot more informed about how to file complaints and where to file complaints. Yeah, and it can be easier to document what happened now because of that video. Um, you know, Brandy Fisher also mentions that, you know, now people have a lot more flexibility in terms of where they take those complaints. You know, they can go to the Alliance for Police Accountability. They can go to One Hood, um, or at the very least, they can contact these organizations to ask, okay, this happened to me. What, what do I do now? But one thing that has not improved, frankly, is the city of Pittsburgh's transparency in this regard. Right. You, you've got other cities, Philadelphia, New Orleans, New York, even some really you know, much smaller cities than Pittsburgh who are putting out detailed police accountability data online uh, on a regular basis. Uh, to this point, Pittsburgh only releases summaries of what it's doing in terms of police accountability. And they're so small. They're one-page annual reports. They come out every fall about the prior year. So you really have to wait a long time to do any sort of analysis about what happened, you know, say from January 2021 to December. Um, it'll be August or September before we get that data from the city. Yeah, and it's not just we uh, journalists uh, who are pining for more information on this subject. We talked to Pitt Law Professor David Harris. 
He's written numerous books on police accountability. He's been involved in studying Pittsburgh's Bureau for years, and he's a member of Ed Ganey's uh, Community Health and Safety Transition Committee. That's the new mayor's uh, committee that's dedicated to uh, looking at all health and safety issues in the city. Right. Um, David Harris, he calls it a moment of inflection, especially with all these young officers likely to be policing us all for the next 5, 10, 15 years. They need to be really intentional about who they recruit and how they train them. Um, Those are critical things, because if you just bring in folks who have no experience with Pittsburgh, have not dealt with uh, the kind of diversity we have in our city, don't know the history of our city and our police department within it, um, have never experienced those sorts of things. And then if you don't, you know, if you don't educate them and try to shift your culture and service into the type of organization that the people here are demanding you're going to get more of the same, except maybe not as good. I hate to say that. Um, I don't want to look five or ten years uh, into the future and and see another incident like the one at the in the bar on the south side where you get the undercover unit uh, in the bag beating people in the face. That bar was Kopi's, K-O-P-Y. The incident was in 2018, and unfortunately, it went about how Professor Harris described it. I encourage you to read up about it. Anyway, Harris says the Bureau needs a top-to-bottom re-examination, which we've had a few of in recent years, but his point is still taken. As he says, quote, the more transparent police can be for the public, the better for everyone. So we took that question to the top, our new mayor, Ed Ganey. I mean, sort of. We couldn't actually get the city to commit to an interview with him, so Rich tracked him down on a recent Thursday and snuck a few questions in. Yeah, I asked the mayor whether Pittsburgh could do what Philadelphia had already done and regularly release police accountability data. And, you know, he did call it a good question, uh, but he said he's had, quote, no chance, close quotes, to consider it to this point. (sighs) Harris, the Pitt Law professor, um, he says there's a public perception that the Bureau is undisciplined. So with more detailed data out there in the wild, maybe the public could make up its own mind and the city wouldn't have to play defense so often. Yeah, and we hear uh, that uh, the city is likely to release a report on public safety any moment now. Of course, they said that uh, it would be any moment now, a few weeks ago, um, actually more than a month ago, I think, at this point. Yeah, and it's supposed to include recommendations from Chief Schubert about potential improvements for the Bureau. So hopefully that's still coming. Um, anyway, we're still poking around on some other stuff, so maybe there'll be more to say another day. Uh, thanks for reporting with me, Rich. Anytime, Megan. Thank you. You can check out all 10 years worth of OMI and DAR data for yourself over at publicsource.org. We'll have links to all that in the show notes, on our socials, and in our newsletter. Please take a look and let us know what you want to know more about next. And just one more thing before you go. Yesterday, that was Monday, was the last day to register to vote. So if you did that, then you're all set to perform your civic duty. Uh, We'll have some election stuff in the newsletter and on the pod over the next few days. So look out for that. If you're tuning in from elsewhere or you're not that into people, you've got until next Tuesday, the 10th, to submit an absentee and mail-in ballot. 
And for everyone else, the primary is in two weeks. That's two weeks, people. So figure out where your precinct is. If you don't know that, we're going to share a link to figure that out on our socials and in the show notes. And don't let election day sneak up on you. Trust me, it's too much stuff to Google while you're in line. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and of course, subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back on Thursday morning with more news from around the city. We'll see you then. Yeah, let's keep your voice and then you can critique me. (laughs) Yay, my favorite part. Um, (laughs) Behind the scenes. All right.